Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Today is the completion of the worship series we've been doing on the means of grace. And our means of grace in the United Methodist Church come from the ordinances in our Book of Discipline. So our Book of Discipline, if you're not familiar with it, is both our history book, our law book with doctrine and polity in it, how we structure the church, both locally and on our annual conference and globally. And so this rather small book containing all of that, has a section about our three general rules. And there's only three of them. And while that sounds very simple, it's not easy to fulfill them. And so we have to encourage each other, and that's why we've been preaching this series. And the first rule is that we should do no harm by avoiding evil of every kind. The second is that we should do all the good that we can in all the ways that we can to all the people that we can. And the third is that we shall attend upon the ordinances of God which are explicitly listed as the public worship of God, the ministry of the word, either read or expounded, the supper of the Lord, holy communion, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, fasting or abstinence. And today we have come to abstinence, which makes most of us very uncomfortable to talk about. And the only reason that we should talk about it is because it is a very real expectation. It's not only part of our United Methodist doctrine and expectations for behavior, but it's clearly outlined in Scripture. And so we're going to be talking about it, and I realize that this is going to make all of us uncomfortable. I have not been chomping at the bit to preach this sermon. However, by the grace of God, we shall get through this. And perhaps God will work in our hearts and in our minds, and then ultimately through our bodies, to help bring us to fruition. So Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, and most of the Thessalonians were, in fact, Jews who converted to Christianity. That's why he makes reference to Gentiles as other people, because they did not consider themselves to be Gentiles. And as he was writing to them, this is one of his earliest letters. He's writing to them to encourage them. I mean, you caught that he says, as, in fact, you are already doing. You are already doing what I've asked you to do. Keep doing so more and more. Don't stop. And we live in a world where we're all working toward hopefully retirement, right? Is that not what we're working toward? We're either going to die doing what we're doing or we're going to retire, and most of us would choose retirement. And so we understand that culturally people think there is a termination of certain rights and and responsibilities and expectations. However, when it comes to being a Christian, there is no retirement, There's no vacation from it. There's no sabbatical that we take. Instead, being a Christian is an identity and a way that we are until there is no more breath in our body. And so we have expectations that God has given to us throughout the course of Scripture. And Paul addresses something that is very much an issue for the the church in Thessalonica. And I'm sure it's an issue for every church everywhere because it's filled with human beings. Sex. And so he addresses that with them, and he says that the reason he's even bothering to talk about this is because God has this will for them, their sanctification, 
And what is sanctification? To sanctify or to consecrate both mean to make holy. And we understand that God not only makes people holy, but God can make spaces and and certain objects holy. You are in a consecrated, sacralized space. When this building right here was completed in the 60s, clergy invoked the name of God and prayed a prayer inviting God the Father to dwell here all the time in this God's house. That's why it's God's house, because a part of God dwells here. And so at all times, some aspect of God the Father dwells here. And then we also understand that there are certain pieces of our furniture here that are holy. They have been consecrated as well. Our altar is consecrated. That's why we don't use it to hold our beverages, because it's holy space. And unless you're trying to offer God a cup of coffee, you wouldn't put your coffee on here. I mean, maybe God needs a cup of coffee, because we all know how the church is, and that's why we serve coffee. But unless you're explicitly offering it to God, it shouldn't go up here. And so we pay attention to sacred things, things that are holy. And God is calling for that for us, that we would be made holy. And that's not holy as piously perfect. That's not what we're talking about. Instead, we're talking about God looking at us and saying, I love you exactly as you are. I love you for all of your flaws and your faults. I love you in spite of your sinfulness. But I know that you can be so much. And that through your growing and and the embodiment of grace, you can continue to not only get better, but to bless others more. And so consecration is our movement into that. The fullness of discipleship. That's what God is offering to us in consecration. And in order to do that, Paul tells his people that they should abstain from fornication. What is fornication? Fornication is having sex with anyone to whom you are not married. That is what fornication is. It is not sex in general. It is sex with someone that you are not married to. If you are married and you are having sex with somebody to whom you are not married, that's also adultery, and that's a twofer. So... He is addressing this for them because in that culture, and probably ours as well, it was a normal thing for people to have sex outside of marriage. And he needed to tell them that they have to learn some restraint. But he does it in a very interesting way. He, instead of saying, don't do that because you can get a sexually transmitted disease or you can get somebody pregnant, he doesn't do any of that. He says, you were called to holiness You are called to be sanctified, and that is not the fulfillment of that. In a sexualized culture such as ours here in America, we know that there are plenty of times where sexual relationships are used for complete self-gratitude. You are using another human being without any kind of acknowledgement or responsibility for the intellectual, emotional, spiritual and physical ramifications of that. And he extols to them the fact that when you engage in sex in that manner, that you are actually doing harm to others. He says that no one should wrong or exploit a brother or sister in this manner. That we shouldn't be using people for our own gratification. That we shouldn't be using this gift of sexuality in order to hurt other people, even if it's unintentional that instead we are called to a different path. And 
Paul doesn't cite it explicitly here, but there is a deep tradition in Scripture of abstinence. And abstinence, in this case, as Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, is about sexuality. But there's also abstinence in other ways. It is to refrain from. And you can refrain from alcohol. You can refrain from certain foods. There are many things that you can do in your lifetime and and your lifestyle to change how you interact with food or with beverages or with even opportunities culturally. And so we are given this ability to do that and empowered to make our own decisions through free will. But why? What's the point? Because ultimately, just because you can do all things doesn't mean that you should. There are things to which we should be focusing our attention, and then there are things that simply distract us from that which God is calling us to attend to. And when our sexuality gets in the way of that, that is destructive, and it can be hurtful, as Paul says. But if we go back to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, in the book of Numbers, we will find this passage in chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When either men or women make a special vow, a vow of the Nazarite, to separate themselves to the Lord, they shall separate themselves from wine and strong drink. They shall drink no wine vinegar or other vinegar, and shall not eat or drink any grape juice or eat grapes fresh or dried. All their days as Nazarites, they shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins." All the days of their Nazarite vow, no razor shall come upon their head until the time is completed for which they separate themselves to the Lord. They shall be holy. They shall let the locks of the head grow long. All the days that they separate themselves to the Lord, they shall not go near a corpse. Even if it is their father or mother, brother or sister, even if they should die, they may not defile themselves because the consecration to God is upon the head. All their days as Nazarites, they are holy to the Lord." There was a understanding back in this time as God was laying out how the Israelites were to live when they came into the promised land that there would be a time for abstinence. And in this case, abstaining from three very specific things for a period of time. They would abstain from drinking wine or eating any kind of grape product because back then it was almost impossible to keep things from fermenting and turning. And you thought you were eating raisins and then you found out that they had actually fermented and this was to keep them from doing that they were not to cut their hair because the growth of hair was a sign of their holiness so for those of you with long hair congratulations it's a sign of biblical holiness and number three they were not to defile themselves by touching a dead body and it's not that Touching a dead body is evil, but it does create purity issues, and it takes you from the clean state, or in this case, the holy state, into unclean. It's not a moral category. It's a ritual purity. And so they were told that they could not do these things. So what is a Nazarite? It's not a Nazarene, right? A Nazarene is Jesus. It's a person from Nazareth. Jesus was not a Nazarite. We know that because he drank wine. Um, We don't know about his hair, but we also know that he routinely touched dead bodies. And so Jesus was not a Nazarite. Most people took the vow of a Nazarite for a short period of time. Most were about 30 days. Almost no one was ever expected to live their entire life as a Nazarite. Now, Samson was, and if you read Judges, you'll learn that Samson was not a very good Nazarite. Uh, He was constantly doing many things that were wrong, and he did not keep his vow very well. 
So we have this precedent in Scripture of people choosing for a time to abstain. Why? What is it about? The Scripture tells us that these are people who choose to separate themselves to the Lord. In our world, we spend most of our time separated from the Lord. Here, these are people who are calling themselves to a deeper relationship with God by separating themselves from something that might be completely normative for the rest of the world. But here, in order to accomplish this, they must rely upon God and really focus on the relationship with their Lord. Otherwise, they cannot succeed, not for a day, seven days, and certainly not for 30 or more. Instead, they have to constantly be focusing on God sustaining them, helping them, in the time of trial and in the temptation, that God will encourage them and equip them to fulfill their vow. People of all ages need to be encouraged to explore abstinence. And that might be sexual, it might not be. But there's only one way that someone who can explore that, as we're encouraged to do in the rite of the Nazarite, can succeed in that. Did you notice that almost all of the means of grace that I read to you are not individual acts? They are corporate. They are communal. We are here to help each other. The public worship of God requires two or more people. The ministry of the word isn't a ministry of the word if I simply preach to an empty room. Or if you sit here and there's no one to preach the word to you. The Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, requires more than one person. Family prayer, searching the scriptures can be done individually, but we are called to do this in community. And fasting and abstinence requires support and encouragement. If someone were to choose to abstain from alcohol, we don't help them by inviting them over to our home and laying out a full bar. Just like if someone is diagnosed as a diabetic, we don't bring them to a house full of carbs. Instead, we as the community choose to surround them with love and care and encourage and help to equip them to succeed, not to tempt them and see if they fall. That's a bad biblical model. Instead, we're here to help one another and encourage them and let them know that we understand that they are trying to do something. We may not understand what they're trying to do or why they're trying to do it, but if they ask for our help, we help them what it means to be a family of faith. And so we have this opportunity here, brothers and sisters, to help one another. Because all of us, whether we're single or married, should be considering that there is a time for this. I had a colleague put it so beautifully in a sermon I listened to from her, where she talked about seasons of celibacy. What would happen even to married couples if they chose for a season, you could say 30 days from the biblical precedent, not to use sexual expression to show their love and their commitment and their relationship? What if you had to look for other ways? What if you couldn't have the physicality and so you needed to discover other ways of staying connected, keeping your relationship vibrant and true? How could we do that if we didn't rely on God to give us the inspiration and to encourage us and equip us to do it? This is something that we can do. And biblically, we are called to explore these things together. 
Instead of being a punishment, it's not a punishment. Instead, it is truly to draw close to the one who has done everything in God's power to remove obstacles and help us grow closer. We have this opportunity. We are people who are seeking to be perfected in love, as the United Methodist Church says. This notion that the Holy Spirit is at work in here. It is sanctifying us and pushing us into a deeper love and relationship and service and the fulfillment of our call to be disciples of Jesus Christ. If we truly believe that, then we will use all the means of grace at our disposal. Now, we can't do these things all the time. Whether you're talking about a temporary fast from food or you're talking about abstinence in any realm, we are only going to succeed if we are dedicated to helping one another do that. There are many times in the epistles, the letters of the New Testament, where Paul or another one of the leadership in the church has to address people and their struggles with one another. And sometimes it's people saying, well, we can't eat this meat at this festival because it's been offered to an idol. And other people going, well, we all know that that's not a real thing. And so we're just having barbecue. And the people argue over this because they go, no, on principle, we shouldn't be eating it. And the other people say, it doesn't matter. It's make-believe. And do you know what Paul says to them? If my eating meat that is offered to an idol, and we all know that they're not real, if, we, if I do this and it causes someone else to stumble, then I will not do that. He is making a vow not to trip anyone up. We as the body of Christ have to take a vow to help people stand strong. We have to be committed to helping people grow in their love and their sanctification. And we can't do that unless we are committed to that individually as well. I can't help you be sanctified if I'm not committed to my own sanctification. And I certainly can't help you discern God's will if I haven't figured out what God's will is for me. And all of this is important because, as you may or may not be aware, the United Methodist Church is getting ready to call the question on inclusion. And they're going to be addressing sexuality, which is why I thought it was important not to skip over abstinence. And it's an uncomfortable conversation. None of us are having a good time right now. But we're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Because ultimately, the conversations that we have and the way we engage sex in Scripture is going to have very real consequences for people. It is going to change the way people think about the church. It is going to change the way people feel about themselves. And every church, Crozet United Methodist included, is going to have to discern where they stand on these issues. And that is terrifying. It is uncomfortable. None of us want to be a part of that. We would rather just read Psalms. But we can't. Because Jesus didn't come to make it easy. Jesus came to make us holy. And holiness requires work. It requires commitment and perseverance, and none of us are going to persevere if we don't stick with God. And so we have to be committed to this, and we have to use all these means of grace to help us have this conversation. And so next January and February, 
And in February, Methodists from all over the world will be gathering in St. Louis. I have already booked my hotel and my flight to have this discussion. And I know people say, well, why do you have to have it here? I have to have it here because this is where we bask in the presence of God. This is where we come together in God's home, in the presence of God the Father, where God the Son is manifest when two or more gather in his name, and where God the Holy Spirit flows between us, in our midst, inside of us. And it is only here that we have the inspiration that we need to continue the conversation anywhere else. Because I could pretend like this is not coming. But I've also read my scripture. And in my Bible study on Thursday evenings, we've just completed the 12th book of the Bible. We just completed 2 Kings. How much sex has there been? A lot. And they, they're getting comfortable. They're, getting com- they're, they're not comfortable, but they're getting there. They're going on to perfection. The reality is that we live in a hypersexual culture in this country. And the beauty of our scripture is that God recognizes human sexuality. God recognizes how we hurt each other and how we help each other. God recognizes that we have things that were meant to be good and blessings and beautiful. And sometimes we take those things and we pervert them and we hurt others with them. And yet at the end of the day, at the end of all of the discussions that any church could ever have, whether we're talking about inclusion or not, at the end of the day, there is one truth we can all be forgiven. That is the one truth. But we will never discover the things for which we need to be forgiven. We will never discover that grace if we don't engage it. And so we choose. We choose to be part of this. I found it just simply miraculous that in order to explain a letter to a a Christian church in Thessalonica, I had to go all the way back to the Old Testament to find Nazarites. And I hope that if somebody makes that little switch where they say Nazarene or Nazarite, you will now be equipped to go, no, 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 that's not a Nazarite. It's a Nazarene. Just like there's a big difference between Calvary and Cavalry. Right? So instead, we educate ourselves and we engage in these conversations. But one of the most beautiful things about number six is, did you catch it? That either men or women can choose to consecrate themselves as a Nazarite. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, are not written for women. You know this because when you look at the sign of the covenant, it's circumcision. And ladies, we are ineligible. It's not for us. It was for men. But yet here, in a very interesting way, the text records that all of us, regardless of our gender or our chromosome count, can be consecrated wholly, to be separated to the Lord. It gives me great hope that if we continue to search the scriptures together, that we will find the answers that we need for today. And that when this church and many other churches call the question that ultimately what will drive our decision is our reliance on grace. And I have great faith in God's grace. I have great faith in those who embody that grace, those who give it, those who have received it, and those who want it 
for every single person. So let us encourage one another. Let us equip each other to do this holy work. And ultimately, may God's will be done not only for us as individual disciples, but for the church. Because this church is not ours. We are simply holding it in trust until Jesus comes back to take it again. May God's will be done for you, in you and through you. And may it be so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.